Invesco QQQ believes new innovations create new opportunities. Here's to greater possibilities together. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. I'll be one to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. You want to know why the market surged higher today? Simple. Last week, sentiment just got too negative. And when everybody's negative, that means there's hardly anyone left to sell. The house of pain. With no natural sellers, the market can roar across the board. Ah. Even the Dow, which was held down by another tragic plane crash involving one of Boeing's new line of smaller aircraft, something that sent the averages down 242 points at the opening. Well, the Dow ended up falling 201 points, a monumental move, because Boeing's a big part of the Dow. While the S&P gained 1.47%, and get this, the Nasdaq rocketed relentlessly higher as the day went on, closing up 2.01%. All right, so how do we know these things? How do we know? How do we know that today's move was about sentiment and not substance? Because the tinder for this conflagration of buying came from a couple of high-profile upgrades, in this case, Facebook and Apple, as well as former market darling NVIDIA's takeover bid for Mellanox, that's an Israeli chip maker, a deal that was cheered today, even though a year ago it would have been met with total derision. This was not some tsunami of good news. The sellers were just exhausted. Let me walk you through what happened today so you can recognize the next time it happens, okay? The next time sentiment gets too negative and the market's poised to jump higher like a coiled spring, which, you know, I was using those six stocks last week as a kind of a metaphor for it. Well, everything came true. See, this morning, this morning at 4.30 a.m., yeah, I know, I get up early, so what? I saw the stocks of Apple and Facebook jumping higher in pre-market trading at the same time that Europe was solid, China looked okay, oil was stable higher. You know, those are the things I look for. Why does all this matter? Because rallies can be spotted well ahead of time. You just need to watch the crawl. The, the uh, white and blue scrolling ribbons at the bottom of your screen. See that? See that? I was anticipating some sort of run because of the way the stock market closed on Friday, despite that weak employment error. When you start with a big downdraft based on what looked like a horrific jobs number Friday, at least at first glance, and then the average erased nearly all those losses, Ah, you know the market's done going down, right? At least for the moment. I believe that jobs number was profoundly misleading. Between the bad weather and the government shutdown, I think there were too many one-off negatives to extrapolate anything from that labor report. That's why that labor report had absolutely zero pin action. But forget about me. Ten years ago, Ben Bernanke caused the bottom of the stock market. Why? Because he told us that he was not going to let another bank go under, and it was on its appearance in 60 Minutes of all places. Well, our new Fed chief, Jay Powell, agreed to sit down with 60 Minutes, too. And boy, has he ever learned how to handle the media in just six short months? Back in October, Powell didn't understand the power of his words when he called for multiple rate hikes to cool down the economy. Take that, economy! Uh, even if it meant overshooting and causing a slowdown. Then after the stock market got completely obliterated, Powell backtracked, taking a more prudent wait-and-see approach, and the bull market, well, it resumed. I keep hearing catcalls about Powell's reversal, that it was based on pressure from President Trump. 
Trump stock. Or that it was because of the stock market. Some kind of bailout to the Fed's rich buddies on Wall Street. They know nothing! Oh, that's crazy. Last night, Powell made it crystal clear that the Fed remains independent and Trump's attacks had no impact on his decision-making at all. The boring, simple truth? Powell recognized that a host of factors had gotten less positive, including data from overseas. So it just wasn't correct to keep tightening. He's not appeasing Wall Street. He was worried about Main Street. In short, the economy dictated Powell's thinking. The decline in the stock market was merely a reflection of these fears about the economy. All right, now go back to that 4.30 a.m. thing. Work with me here, the tape. I'm a tape reader from way back. So when I saw the stocks of Facebook and Apple popping in the early morning, it was, uh, it was Courtney Reagan this morning. I'm watching, say, you know, I'm listening. I'm like, boom, look at that app. Look at that app. Look at that Facebook. Look at Facebook. Well, that told me we were ready to get some big upgrades. See, that's what it is. This guy's getting ahead in the upgrade because they found out about it. Maybe it's even legal. Sure enough, Nomura Instant took Facebook from hold to buy with a statement piece entitled, A New Story to Tell. And Bank of America upgraded Apple saying, Risk, reward, risk, reward turns favorable. Ten reasons to be bullish. Here's the amazing thing about both these pieces of research. They are like Seinfeld, a show based on nothing. The new story to tell Facebook, I didn't see any new one in the piece. Uh, the main thesis, the transition to stories appears to be faster than we thought. Oh, maybe faster than the mirror thought, but, but it's been out there for ages. What really happened here? I think we ran out of new negatives for Facebook. In fact, what we got last week was Zuckerberg calling for a kinder, gentler Facebook that will treat its users like um, human beings. Last week, we were fretting that Facebook would gate its most important constituency. That sent the stock down to the high, 160. But upon further review, Nomura recognizes that most people use Instagram to tell stories to everyone. Despite all the negative press, Facebook hasn't lost users. It's gained them in, through Instagram. It's become also a really cheap stock, especially now that the company's planning to slash costs over time. Hey, nothing new. Sounds okay. How about the Apple upgrade? All right, there was nothing salient in this thing whatsoever. What were some of the Bank of America's 10 reasons to be bullish? Okay, well, first, gross profit the, uh, dollars reversing from declines to growth in the second half. No kidding. Known a loyal user base. Known strong free cash flow. Known possibility of M&A and the capital return. Known. The only thing new here was the possibility of reacceleration in Apple service revenues, but it's still, I, I, I found it fatuous because it was about China, the Chinese no longer cracking down hard on gaming. I mean, really? I call that thin gruel, people. Don't get me wrong. I agree with the upgrade. I still think you own Apple and you don't trade it. But there was nothing revelatory here. I looked at it. I was like, oh, where's something new? Where's something new? No. Then there's the third catalyst, NVIDIA's acquisition of Mellanox. Well, I know it sounds like Mellanox. It's not. It's like a pretty legitimate chip company. We know NVIDIA has been weak because of an overhang of graphic processors, which is the uh, from because of gaming and cryptocurrency mining. Uh, the, the side of NVIDIA we've always loved, though, and never lost the ardour, is the artificial intelligence and data center side. And it got a huge boost from the $6.9 billion takeover, not just because it helps them grow in the fastest part of computing, but also because it blocks Intel from, wor- from working with a company that would have given Intel a lot more flexibility. The deal may be defensive versus Intel, but it allows NVIDIA to play offense. It's been on defense for so long, which is why I predict a slew of upgrades on the heels of this takeover. I mean, I'm like trying to envision right now when I get up at 3.30 tomorrow, I'm going to get up an hour early. I felt like I missed a lot of stuff. You're going to see a lot of NVIDIA going up 2, 3, 4, 5. Now, if you go back to the early morning away from these stocks, we were correctly shrouded with gloom 
from the tragedy of the Ethiopian airliner that crashed, just like the Indonesian airliner not that long ago. Both planes were Boeing 737 Maxes, which is an incredibly popular aircraft. It would have been completely legitimate if that bellwether stock had let us down. But we collectively gotten two negative on stocks, and there just weren't that many investors left who wanted to sell. Now, maybe you think that this is the time to take profits. Sell, 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 sell. Maybe you think this rally can't last. Why not take this opportunity to ring the register? I'll tell you why. Because rallies based on a sentiment switch are often arbingers of some amazing moves. Think of it like this. If you're an analyst and you've been in your foxhole for a week because the shelling was so heavy, now you have an opportunity to come out and be positive. I bet you'll get a host of bullish calls tomorrow and Wednesday. Why not? With NVIDIA stock rallying nearly as much as the target Mellanax, with the negatives for Facebook pretty well spelled out, and with Apple rallying on something that's been true for years, why not do some upgrading yourself? Tech is ripe for some hold-to-buy moves. Bottom line, if I'm right that the sellers have exhausted themselves, then today won't be the last good session we have, especially with the wave of positive analyst notes that I'm expecting this week, now that the coast is clear. Denise in Minnesota. Denise. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Say, uh, my company reported revenues up 59% for the quarter and up 79% for the full year. They got fourth quarter membership visits up 86%. And since then, it has sold off by 20%. What's going on with Teladoc? And is this, is this a buying opportunity? Well, you know, when I read the report... I was surprised that they only beat the estimates by a penny. This is a high price earnings multiple story, Denise. It had to do better than that. It's in the penalty box. Even though everything you said is true, it's in the penalty box because it was supposed to blow away the quarter, and it didn't. How about Archie in California? Archie. Hey, Jim. It's Archie from Palm Springs, California. Oh, man, that's a real yeah. springs. You just have to do some hiking to find it. What's going on? Yeah. Hey, uh, last week on Wednesday morning, I was stopped at a Neo. You know, Chinese electric uh, EV company went right. you know, plunged following their poor earnings report, and they had negative guidance. But Goldman Sachs reinstated their reinstated their buy rating with a ten dollars seventy cent price target. Uh, what do you think about the company for uh, you know for down here? I mean, look, it got hyped from six to ten off of a really positive sixty minutes piece. Then the numbers weren't that good. But down here, I, you know, I think you can play it against Sam. I mean, I really do. It's all the way down at six. I know the quarter wasn't that good, but I don't think the stock's going to go to four. Uh, so it might be okay. Uh, but remember, it is just a trade. Rallies based on sentiment, people, are so good. As a matter of fact, the switch, it often has an arbinger for much higher prices. I expect we'll start seeing plenty of upgrades, particularly in tech. Oh, man, money tonight. The bull market has been alive for a decade. I'm telling you the real lesson of the market will run. Then we heard from plenty of retailers last week, but not all of these names belong in your closet or your pantry. I'll tell you what to shop and what to drop. Then Viva reported fantastic. Or not Velveeta, Viva! A fantastic quarter a few weeks ago. But the stock still took part. It got hit. Is it part for the course of this market? Or is there more to the story? I've got the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. What's up, everybody? 
I'm Graham Bunn. So excited to introduce you to Country Shine, where we're talking all things country music. That's right. And I'm Cameron Irwin, co-host and resident country girl at Tinseltown, here to welcome you to the family. Every Tuesday, we'll update you on the latest in country music, culture, and community. And on Fridays, I'll bring on country musicians and all the biggest names in the game. It's a gathering, and we want you here. You can listen to Country Shine with me, Graham Bunn, for free right here on Spotify. I am so sick of stock market anniversaries. It's been 10 years since the beginning of this bull market, and now we're hearing that the entire thing is a castle built on sand, just a totally chimerical move, with every point of it aided and abetted by the Federal Reserve. That whole line of argument is such transparent nonsense, yet every time we hit one of these anniversaries, it tends to bring out lots of so-called experts who sound skeptical, but are really just nihilists. They believe in nothing. And they only want to destroy, like some villain in a Dostoevsky novel. There's Davrogin! Without the charisma. These bad faith bears use the event to argue that the whole move was bogus. They want you to believe that the entire run from Dow 6500 to Dow 25,000 was built on nothing except grand conspiracies between the Federal Reserve and Wall Street moneymen. Next, they'll be talking about Thurman Taxes Postal System, the Bavarian Illuminati, or I don't know, I mean, Elliot's like John Carpenter's They Live. Really good. So tonight I'm here to chew bubblegum and kick some bearish butts, and I'm all, I'm all out of bubblegum. The problem, though, is that people automatically assume that the bears are more rigorous than the bulls. If you want to defend the incredible move since the mar- March of 2009, and why it would even need defending is beyond me, it's made people fortunes. The bad faith bears accuse you of being a lightweight for making that fortune, someone who will be revealed as a total charlatan once the whole house of cards comes crashing down, even though, again, you made a fortune. See, that's one of the big reasons I've become so micro-focused over the years, because it's easier to defend being bullish on a company-by-company basis. Think of it like this. On that uh, fateful event at the bottom in March of 2009, there were many individual companies that were actually doing quite well, with stocks that had been taken down at insanely low levels where they sported much higher yields than U.S. Treasuries and had no problem paying them. Those were the real opportunities in this market. During the whole period, we would pour over stocks with yields over 4%. The accidentally high yielders, I call them, to figure out, AYHs, to figure out if there were any risk to their payouts. If there were big pension problems or there was too much debt, we'd eliminate them because the credit markets were frozen for those companies. Thank you, Matt Horwing, my forensic accountant, for really going over these. That gave us a list of relative sleep at night stocks that I was able to put into my charitable trust, and they compounded for years and years in spectacular fashion. Other stocks backed up by companies with no debt and great secular growth stories like Salesforce also turned out to be amazing buys. If you examine the market on a case-by-case basis, rather than that broad S&P 500 swath that the bad faith bears are always picking on, you discover that there are these little engines called companies that can progress in a way that has nothing to do with the Fed and little to do with the animal spirits of the moment. Look at it like this. If you go back in time, what caused that bottom? It was Fed Chief Ben Bernanke going on 60 Minutes and saying he wouldn't let any more banks fail, a new position that would have let us sidestep the whole financial crisis if he just rolled it out a year earlier instead of going along with bogus laissez-faire policies of the Bush administration. If you had been in one of those real black holes, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, I don't know, General Motors, AIG, or any bank, including the dozens that went under, well, you never did come back. But a Johnson & Johnson, Procter & Gamble, Microsoft, Amazon, not a problem. Did the Fed aid Microsoft? No. Microsoft aided Microsoft. 
J&J aided J&J. Proctor aided Proctor. It's no longer fashionable to focus on individual companies. It's easier to mouth off about the averages, the ETFs. But the fact is, a lot of individual stocks bottomed 10 years ago because they, they, they lost any contact with the fundamentals, the underlying businesses. They've gotten cheap to the point of absurdity. And that's why that, not the Fed, is ultimately why they came roaring back. Much more man money ahead. I'm going over the retail details after last week's earnings announcements and tell you which play could be worth considering. Then 83% of new drugs approved were launched using Viva's technology. Viva! Viva! Could it work with some of the world's largest pharmaceutical companies? Help? Pa- could that power your portfolio higher? And I've got the exclusive with the CEO. Last month, President Trump signed an executive order making the development of AI a federal priority. But it's already taking hold in healthcare. I'm focusing on the future of medicine with the man leading the charge. So stay with Kramer. Support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Need an escape? Drop into Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yeah, free. No subscriptions, no fees. Imagine 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, Survivor, and everything else from hit movies to binge-worthy TV shows, the latest news, live sports, comedy, and more. What are you waiting for? Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, or Fire TV and start watching now. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free. Last week, in addition to the first serious pullback in months, we got a fabulous glimpse into the future of retail, thanks to a series of important earnings reports and some major updates on where Amazon might be headed. Put it all together, we've got a very different picture of the retail landscape today than we even had a week ago, so I've got to go over this. It's really important. Among Kohl's, Costco, Kroger, and Amazon, there's a lot to keep track of. Let's take them one by one, because these are big capitalization stocks of companies that you go to. And I want you to know how to think about them when you're at those stores. So let's start with the good news. Last Tuesday, Kohl's reported a really good quarter. Something we've been waiting for, uh, for as we own Kohl's for My Travel Trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. I've got an important call Thursday. This one's been tough to own of late. Now, I'm a big believer in Kohl's and its current CEO, Michelle Goss, but the stock got poleaxed during the fourth quarter bear market, even as the company was reporting terrific numbers. We used that weakness to get a better cost basis for the charitable trust, something I like to teach, and the stock started to rebound nicely in January. But then we got another bizarre reaction. Kohl's posted 1.2% same-store sales growth for the holidays and actually raised, not cut, but raised its four-year guidance. Not bad numbers by any stretch of the imagination. Yet because they gave you this update on the same day that Macy's announced a truly horrifying disappointment, Kohl's saw its stock get slammed again. Since then, Kohl's has been kind of doing nothing, range bound, stuck in the mid-high 60s. Which brings us to last Tuesday. As the company's earnings reported uh, uh, approach, investors seem wary of Kohl's. And actually all the department stores, for that matter. You get the sense that Michelle Goss and her team needed to prove themselves this time around. Sure enough, the company delivered a solid top and bottom line beat with basically in-line same-store sales. Even better, Kohl's put through a 10% dividend boost and brought its yield up to nearly a 3.9% level. Hey, that's always an encouraging sign. See, we want a higher yield because the dividend goes up, not because the stock goes down. Best of all, management gave us some monster earnings guidance for 2019, forecasting $5.80 to $6.15 per share, much higher than the $5.77 number that Wall Street was looking for. The only piece of hair on this quarter... Kohl's noted that its first quarter same-store sales could come in near the low end of their full-year forecast, closer uh, to flat than up 2% due to some softness in February. 
And the first quarter gross margin might slip a little bit. Hmm. The culprit? Management says it was primarily the weather, with cold temperatures throughout large swaths of the country, along with lots of rain and snow. That's true, people. After the amazing quarter Coles just reported, I'm giving the benefit of the doubt. You know what I really love about this one? The stock pole vaulted from 66 to 71 on the news, 7.3% gain in succession. But then Cole spent the rest of last week giving back those gains, even after today's bounce. It's still trading at $69.55. While you're not quite getting that last great quarter for free, oh, that's a nice discount. Oh, and it doesn't hurt that Kohl's is a ridiculous bargain here. Trading at less than 12 times this year's earnings estimates, that is so cheap. Good fundamentals, cheap stock, nearly 3%, 9% yield, heck of a lot better than U.S. Treasuries. What's driving the strength of Kohl's? Some of it comes down to their exp- experimental partnership with Amazon. Remember, Kohl's has a deal where they get to sell Amazon's gadgets. At the same time, some of their stores serve as a kind of depot where you can return Amazon's merchandise in person. Just bring it back. You don't have to do anything. Here, take it. Regular viewers know I, I love this idea. Amazon's customers get an easy way to return their items for free. Kohl's gets a ton of, of uh, new foot traffic because you, know, you got that racetrack, got to go all the way in the back to give the uh, Amazon stuff back. Management is clearly very happy with these programs, and they're expanding them. Announcing last week that they'd be doubling the number of stores in which they sell Amazon gadgets from 100 to 200. There's a lot more to come. Now, next, what, what about the parts of retail that were less positive? Well, we got some mixed news from the grocery space. Remember, it was just reporting, uh, just reported that Amazon's going to further expand their supermarket footprint, rolling out more stores on top of their existing Whole Foods locations. So, so some investors were spooked ahead of a pair of earnings reports from Kroger and Costco. I told you not to prejudge anything going into these quarters. And Amazon was not the be-all and end-all all, all, at all this quarter because Costco and Kroger told very different stories. Costco delivered a phenomenal earnings surprise. Wow, terrific same-store sales, up 6.7% year-over-year. Wall Street was only looking for 5.5. Company's been able to expand its margins as it takes market share across the country, which is why Costco's stock exploded higher on Friday, vaulting 5%, though it's still down roughly 15 bucks from its all-time highs six months ago. Got room to run. I remain a big fan of Costco. I adore the membership model. I always re-up, which I think is one of the best value propositions out there right now because the bargains at Costco are practically unbeatable. Kroger, on the other hand, the antithesis of Costco. Kroger is much more of a traditional supermarket, and their numbers were suboptimal, to say the least. Company posted a four cent earnings mass off of a fifty-two cent basis, with higher than expected revenue, weaker than expected revenue. Look at this, not down nine point five percent year over year. Ouch! Even as their same store sales were slightly better than anticipated, up one point nine percent year over year. On top of that, Kroger's guidance—it was just—it was distressing. Company indicated we need to invest more than $3 billion in the business for, uh, for 2019, resulting in a substantial earnings hit. Nobody on Wall Street wants to hear that you're about to have a so-called investment year. An investment year is the kiss of death for your stock price. Basically, Kroger's doing its best to compete and retain market share in a very competitive environment. But there's just too many players in the grocery space. Costco will thrive because their membership model gives them a major edge. You join the club, pay their annual fee, and in exchange you get the bargains, especially when you buy in bulk. But Kroger doesn't have anything like that. And nothing really sets it apart from the rest of the industry right now, which is why the company now needs to spend a fortune to fend off its rivals. Hey, no wonder the stock lost nearly 10% of its value on Thursday before dropping another 4.5% on Friday. Kroger's become a punching bag. And while the stock might seem cheap here, about 11 times earnings, it's a value trap. It's only cheap if you believe the company can actually hit those forecasts. I think it's a mighty big if. 
One of those rivals, you know, one of those rivals that's eating into Kroger, it is Amazon. Now, I did some digging over the weekend. It looks like uh, I now feel pretty confident to say that Amazon will be making a major, major push in the supermarket space, probably sooner rather than later. My sources suggest that Amazon's expansion here may be much more significant than what we initially thought. In, after reading that journal article, I believe it will be standalone, different operation from Whole Foods. If that's the case, then here's my new ranking for the grocery industry. Amazon's a buy. Costco's a buy. Kroger is a sell, sell, sell. You know how much I like Amazon. Between the web services business, the advertising business, and, of course, retail, there's a lot to love here. And this latest supermarket expansion is just the icing on the cake, people. Costco's got a major advantage thanks to that membership model. I think they can withstand any potential onslaught from Amazon, which is making a more focused push into the industry than we were led to believe last week. But Kroger? Kroger's the gang that can't shoot straight. The bottom line. We heard a lot of great retail news last week from Kohl's and from Costco, both of which are worth sticking with, along with some not-so-great news from Kroger. And now that we know Amazon's about to substantially boost their supermarket business, I think we need to be very skeptical of any other grocery play that's not named Costco, except perhaps Walmart. But that will have to wait until another day. How about we go to Christian in Oregon? Christian! Hey, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. Love the show. My Thank question you. today is on Treehouse Foods, once a high-flying stock now struggling to digest the purchase of ConAgra's private label business. Uh, new CEO, new management strategies announced. Is it enough to turn this company uh, around? No, no, we're going to have to wait. I, I actually am concerned. Uh, Treehouse has just missed too many times. I need to see. I, uh, we, uh, we don't. I can't have. I cannot. Put faith in that company right now. Let's go to Nolan in Minnesota. Nolan. Jim, how are you doing? A I am Minnesota having a good day. How about you? I'm doing good. Thank good. you. So my, I'm curious about eBay. I've been following them for the, like a while now. I know they had a good February, and they're putting access on their board. I just want to get your opinion on the company. I want you to buy eBay. I think what Elliot's done is remarkable. I think that Devin Wayne, the CEO, I think he's going to go with the plan to split it up. If he doesn't, I think he's going to be set up for a little bit of trouble. I do think he, that the plan itself that Elliot's propounded is a great one. Own eBay. All right, we had a lot of great retail news last week. I want you to stick with Kohl's, and I want you to stick with Costco. I need you to be a little bit more uh, circumspect about the grocery place. Amazon's going to come in with guns blazing. What's for me money in? It's a company that's quintupled over the past three years, and its move may not be over. I'm going to sit down with the CEO of Viva Systems to see if the uptrend can continue. Then can artificial intelligence bring empathy back to medicine? I'm talking to a man leading the charge. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Take control of your financial future with the new madmoney.cnbc.com. Kramer's exclusive CEO interviews, full episodes, analysis, even your own soundboard. Plus, special access to Mad Money 101 with rules and techniques to break down the market for all investors. The red flag that makes me drop a stock immediately is... It's everything you need right when you need it. The new madmoney.cnbc.com. past few weeks, we've watched the same story unfold over and over again. Some cloud-based software company reports a fantastic quarter. Only to see its high-flying stock get slammed in response. It happened to Splunk, happened to Workday, happened to Salesforce. 
It also happens to Viva Systems, the maker of cloud-based software for the life sciences industry. They help pharmaceutical companies capture clinical trial data and comply with government regulations while also making their sales reps more effective. Now, Viva's been just been an incredible long-term performer. We've been behind it forever. Stock has nearly tripled over the past two years alone. But on February 26th, the company reported a spectacular quarter, a massive top and bottom line beat with amazing guidance. And while the stock initially bounced in after hours trading, it quickly sold off the next day, only closing down 2.9%. Since then, Viva's rebounded a bit, although it's still trading below where it was before the driven quarter, as investors have grown more cautious about these high-flying cloud stocks. On the other hand, man, you're getting an awesome quarter for free, and I think this could be an excellent buying opportunity. Do not take it from me. Let's check in with Peter Gastner, he's the founder and CEO of Viva Systems. You had a better sense of how this amazing company's doing and where it's headed. Mr. Gastner, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me. All right, Peter, I love success stories. You know, I don't know. I probably remember more than you, but five years ago, you came on and you talked about something called Viva Vault. And I'm like thinking, all right, well, what does this mean? Talk about what has happened to Viva Vault in the five years since you've been on. Yeah, it's been a great success story, Jim, for, for Viva, our employees, and our customers. You know, now it's, it's grown from 5% to almost 50% of our revenue. And if you look at it, it's customers, they want a common set of applications that, that deal with all the things they're doing, all on a consistent platform, all in the cloud. And then we just built the business through the customer success. You know, one customer, one application at a time. And if you, if you work at hard at things, Jim, for five years, you can produce some good results. Well, we had uh, Andy Jassy, Jassy on recently. He's for cloud, for uh, Amazon Web. And he told us, look, the secret is to have the customer pay less and less and less. You are saving the system. I have to believe that when you bring in Viva, you are saving the system money. Oh, yeah. We, I, I do believe that, Jim. At an individual customer level, yes. But also, look, if, if you look at the industry overall, which we're so proud to be a part of, you know, our customers are doing important things. They're making medicines to help people live better lives and to save their lives. We're actually increasing the efficiency of that overall $1.7 trillion business, you know, by, by delivering them cloud software that really helps them be more efficient. So, you know, we're doing our part to help get the right medicines to the patients that need them, and, and we're making the overall system more efficient. So I'm really proud of the Viva team and what we're accomplishing. Okay, in your deck, uh, I, I, I have, why well, this is from 2012 versus 2017, top 10 life sciences. I think it's another way to look about, how, about what you've accomplished. We've had almost every single one of the companies that were ahead of you. You were number nine in spend in 2012. You've leapfrogged over everybody 2017, which makes me wonder, what are you going to do now? What's an encore, particularly because you already have a billion in sales and you say the total just market's only nine billion? Well, that's true, right? This year we'll reach a billion dollars, over a billion dollars in sales, and that's you know a year ahead of our target. So we're really, really happy with that success. But we're in the very early days of this industry cloud for life sciences. Yes, our total addressable market is over nine billion, but we keep adding new products all the time. So I'm I'm really optimistic about our future, Jim, especially since Medicine is going, undergoing a real revolution here, moving towards precision medicine, using cell therapy, gene therapy, to really target what's wrong with an individual person and fix that. That's a long-term revolution in medicine that our customers are just starting on, and we're really looking forward to helping them through that. So I, it's early days for Viva. Well, you know, we have Dr. Topol on today, and he wrote a great book called Deep Medicine, How Artificial Intelligence Can Make Healthcare Human Again. The artificial intelligence component, a lot of it is compiled by Viva, correct? It is. It is, Jim. We're the brains behind a lot of that stuff. You're right. 
Well, I mean, when I look at what you're doing and I look at biotech, okay, would you be able to tell me that all of the biotechs or the great number of biotechs that you work with are all more valuable than the stock market says? Because one by one, we see these companies that are your clients get bids for 100 percent more than what the stock's selling for. Yeah, I would say some of our biotech customers are incredibly well positioned. You saw the recent acquisition by Spark Therapeutics, right. um, which was a biotech acquired by a large pharmaceutical company, uh, Roche. And that just shows, see, Spark was in this precision medicine area where they're actually fixing a person's genes, a very targeted therapy, in their case, to fix a hereditary blindness, never been able to be done before. So there's a, there's a premium on innovation and real cutting-edge science, Jim, because we're, we're at a revolution point that's just starting in medicine, and that's, that's what's causing these acquisitions, and we're so happy to be working not only with the large pharmaceutical companies, but the small biotechs like Spark Therapeutics and Bluebird Bio that are just doing amazing new things. Oh, one last question. We did this piece about the Mark Benioff tree, that there's so many companies that came and people came from Salesforce. Are you ever worried that Salesforce is going to come back at you and decide that they want to be in your vertical? Well, you know, I focus on our, our employees and our customers, so not really worried about that, but certainly learned a lot from Mark in the early days of Salesforce.com, as well as, you know, other areas, you know, other stops in my career, IBM and PeopleSoft and and also my father in the machine shop when I was a young guy, Jim, he, he really taught me a lot, too. So, you know, no, not, not uh, we have a great partnership with Salesforce.com and really grateful for that. All right, let's leave it there. Another great quarter and a very, I got to tell you, the fact that the stock didn't go uh, all-time high after that quarter makes no sense to me. That was Peter Gasser. He's founder and CEO of Viva Systems. They own this market, people. They own it. Stay with Kramer. It is time! It's time for the Light Red Bill! And then the Light Round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the Light Round, because I want to start with Richard in Pennsylvania. Richard! Kramer, how are you doing? What's happening? We blotted out my, the stock. Uh, I'm, tr- I'm trying to buy that Lamborghini uh, you were test driving in Italy. Which and my one, question to you is about the SUV? The SUV is only 160. Oh, oh I'll take the SUV. Okay, good. yeah, it's, it's got good, good, it's got good bloodlines. What, what stock? CenturyLink. Uh, it's at a 25-year sell, low, sell, good sell, dividend. Sell, 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 sell. I would never, please don't ever put CenturyLink in the same sentence as Lamborghini. It's just not fair to Lamborghini. How about we go to Leo in Utah? Leo! Hello. I would like to know something about Fluidine. FLDM. Fluidon? Yeah, life sciences stuff. I mean, everything in this space is a buy. I know that sounds ridiculous. They're speculative, but you know, Illumina, uh, Thermo, and take a look at how much Danher paid for GE's business. I, I, it's good to own. I need to go to Don in Massachusetts. Don! Hi, Jim. How goes the battle? Ah, the battle continues. What's going on? Okay. Um, this company develops a unique system on a chip design with a focus on video and image. These semiconductors can run all kinds of camera systems from a single chip. Uh, Jim, is Amberella AMBA a buy here? I think it's finally come back. They've reported a really good quarter. I mean, I was kind of mesmerized how good that quarter was. A lot of people written it off. 
I think we're okay here. How about Jim in North Carolina? Jim. How's it going, Jim? Ah, it's not bad. How about you? Hey, good, thanks. Hey, my question is on XON and Trexon. I've held this thing all the way down. I know they have some issues. What do you think the prospects are? I, I think you getting? said it right. They got big-time issues. And, you know, I was talking about this with, with uh, Ben, ben Stoto, Rhymes with Photo. And what he was saying is, listen, have you seen this stock go down? And I said, I'm not touching it. He says we shouldn't touch it. So I'm going with Photo Stoto. Let's go to Brad in Michigan. Brad. Jim, thanks for taking my call. I like uh, money and I like tacos. My question is, can they coexist together with Del Taco? I think, I think uh, actually, uh, beef tastes better than money when it's in a taco. I'm going to ask you to skip that one. I, I kind of thought that was a good, good idea. And instead, I'm going to send you right to Chipotle, even up here. Because Brian Nickel, he'd be the man. Let's go to uh, Munish, Munish in California. Munish. Hi, Jim. Uh Twitter has posted great results on ad revenue last few quarters. The PG ratios are great. Why still it is not trending like Facebook? You know what? I agree with you. I think you have to just own it. I mean, I was watching some uh, ESPN stuff. Everybody has their Twitter handle everywhere. I just think that everyone advertises for Twitter. I think you should own the stock. We're not done. We're going to, oh my God, here we go. Richard in Colorado. Richard! Hi, Jim. Greetings from Snowy Snow Country, Colorado. How are you doing out there? Well, we're in a snowstorm, which is pretty typical for March here. But I am calling because I'm a regular viewer. I'm a retiree, and I appreciate your insights and advice. Thank My you. question today is Akamai, buy, hold, or sell. Oh, no, no. They got the fire underneath them. They're going to have to make the numbers. I think that's a great situation. I mean, a great situation. How about we go to Maddie in Oregon, in California, Maddie? A big California bu- 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 booyah, Jim. Yeah, I'll do it. Um, I purchased Orange a few months ago, and it hasn't done too much. What's your take on ORA? I think you swap out Orange and go into Verizon. I'm not kidding. You, know, you get a little bit of decline in yield, but that's okay. Uh, Verizon's just a better situation. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Take control of your financial future with the new madmoney.cnbc.com. Kramer's exclusive CEO interviews, full episodes, analysis, even your own soundboard. Plus special access to Mad Money 101 with rules and techniques to break down the market for all investors. The red flag that makes me drop a stock immediately is... It's everything you need right when you need it. The new madmoney.cnbc.com. constantly hearing about the revolutionary potential of artificial intelligence and machine learning, how these technologies can transform business after business. But you rarely hear anything about how AI could actually have an impact on your day-to-day life, aside from better targeted advertisements from Google and Amazon and Facebook. But is that all AI can do for us? We've got all this computing power, and the end result is that it gives us users better Netflix recommendations. Is that really it? 
No, there's a lot more to it than that. You're just not looking in the right places. You want to know where artificial intelligence can do the most good? Individualized medicine. Using the human genome and digital technology to map each patient at the most granular level and then coming up with bespoke treatments for them. And when we talk about individualized medicine, something that's driven many of the recent deals in the pharma space, like Lilly's acquisition of Loxol Oncology, Roche's takeover of Spark Therapeutics. There's one guy who actually understands this, theater better, this field better than anybody else. It's Dr. Eric Topol, long a favorite of mine, claimed cardiologist, who's the founder and director of the Scripps Transnational Science Institute. Dr. Topol comes out with a new book. It's tomorrow. I can't believe we have him today. Deep Medicine, How AI Can Make Healthcare Human Again, where he details the ways that artificial intelligence can help with everything from doctors note-taking to medical scans to diagnosing decisions. This is a hugely important topic, people, which is why I'm so thrilled to have him on the show today. Dr. Topol, welcome back to Man Money. Good to see you, sir. Hey, great to see you. How are you? Have a seat. All right, Doc, I I read your book and I found it liberating because like many other people, patients, I always feel like I'm being squeezed in, that there's not enough time. AI gives doctors time to be doctors. Exactly. It's the ultimate gift of time by augmenting the performance of all doctors, clinicians, nurses. uh, That's big uh, decompression of burden, but also for patients, giving them algorithms to interpret their data they're generating. So it's like a flywheel. You get the patients taking on more, the doctors having to do less, machines coming to the rescue. Now, can you give our viewers some of the situations, like for instance, unfortunately, I hate to use cancer. Cancer is a uniquely AI uh, disease, right? Yes. Well, it's because there's so many levels of data. There's not just the patient and their history, but the the genome of the tumor. Uh, There's all the other aspects of the tumor, the scans that can be read through AI, the slides of the pathologist. Uh, And then, of course, these big data sets of millions of people that you can figure out from them digital twins, treatments and outcomes. So the future of cancer, when you learn from each other with all these different levels of information, could be really transformed. Well, that's why when I read your book, I said, now I understand why big pharma is spending five, six, seven, eight billion on these these, uh, gene therapy drugs. I mean, it's worth it. Well, yeah, because now you're getting to the root cause and you're actually letting uh, a cure be established for the first time for many of these conditions. But it also uh, transcends that because we're learning uh, as any doctor sees a limited number of patients and they think all their practice is based on that, even the, the wiser, older docs. But that's a fraction, tiny segment. And we, we can learn for so much more. But it's the difference between machines that have insatiable hunger and us humans right. that have early satiety of data. <laughs> well, it is. it does read like Hal's at certain points. Now, uh, you mentioned earlier that you can have millions of data. One of the things that I felt that you talked about is if you have the Apple Watch, it's entirely possible. We, uh, Tim Cook talks about AFib, and you talk about uh, perhaps some blood pressure. Things. This can be a lifesaver, can't it? Well, yeah. I mean, I think the point is it will diagnose rhythm, a heart rhythm problem that you didn't even know you had, especially if you're at risk because of your age and other factors. So, yes, it, if it prevents a stroke, that could save a life. But, you know, most of the time when people are using an algorithm that don't need it, it could also lead to a lot of unnecessary testing. So we have to be careful of that. Well, one of the things that I found was fascinating was how many prostate Biopsies don't, people are just doing biopsies for the sake of doing biopsies. That's what I felt. But this is, welcome to American medicine. There's so much waste and unnecessary stuff, at least a third of the 3.5 trillion that we just 
are, are going wild with unnecessary things and hurting people inadvertently, unwittingly. So we can do better with this. And just as you said about bespoke right. diagnosis and treatment, we need help because the data, we can't get our arms around it. We're, we're limited uh, as people. Right. We, are. But we have lots of other great attributes that complement machines. But, you know, I have so much respect for you. I mean, and the book is just magnificent. But the last page, you're on the board of one of our favorites. You're on the board of Dexcom. Yes. Aren't they doing the kind of thing that, that, that you are crying out for? Well, I've been uh, on the board for nine years, and I've watched that company that had a very shaky sensor. And, you know, it was just starting to get uh, a use. And now it has one that doesn't have any need for uh, finger sticks. Right. It's factory calibrated. It's easy to put on. And so it really is one of the first medical sensors to, to really yeah. come alive to make a difference. And so what I'm hoping for is, of course, there'll be lots of other medical sensors, right. but this is a good a pace setter for where we can go. Because people think right. steps. I'm counting my right. step. Well, that's nothing when you're getting your glucoses, right. your you blood pressure all continuously, all these other things. Okay, last question is, uh, there are, you deal directly with the worries about AI and how scary it can be. I think you swat them down, but you always have to be concerned, right? Yeah, no, I had to acknowledge the liabilities. Right. Uh, there's so many of them, and we have to respond to each of them because if we don't uh, be, be very careful about how we implement AI, right. we could actually hurt people at scale. This is not a, a doctor-patient thing. This is a much bigger potential. So we have to really be rigorous about the research that we do. All right. Well, the book is Deep Medicine, How Artificial Intelligence Can Make Healthcare Human Again. That's really great. I didn't even get to the diet stuff. Are you eating the right stuff? That's in there, too. Okay, I want to thank Dr. Eric Topley, the director of the Scripps Transnational Science Institute, author of Deep, Deep Medicine, How AI Can Make Healthcare Human Again. Thank you so much, Doc. Oh, great to see you again. Great to be with you. Appreciate it. Stay with me. Look, if the semiconductors are really back, you should consider Advanced Micro, AMD. Lisa Sue could do a terrific quarter, now that I think we're through a lot of the crypto problems. And let's not forget Lamb Research. You know, they reported an amazing quarter. They called a bottom. They had that big dividend. And then the stock just got crushed. I think LRCX, ActionLearsPlus.com, name looks good here. Like I said, there's always a bull market summer. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Clever. I'll see you tomorrow! 1980s New York. Five titans redefined the American dream. Helmsley, Bosky, Gotti, Trump, Giuliani. Greed was good, and they wanted it all. Empires of New York, narrated by Paul Giamatti. Series premiere November 29th at 8 Eastern, only on CNBC-TV.